Good morning. Uh, long weekend up in our area. I know there's a, a lot of things that have taken place on this weekend because uh, school was out in our area on Friday. So people had Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. And some of them may be down in this area too. Some of them out today. So we're just glad to have you here in the house of the Lord this morning to share with you what an offer. What a privilege it is for me to be able to stand before you. Uh, I enjoy being a part of this church, being a part of this family. We appreciate you so much. It kind of reminds me, though, of the fellow that uh, wanted to fly. He was traveling. He was going from Indianapolis to Chicago. And he decided to go to the airport and find out when he could get the best flight. When he got to the flight desk, he asked her, he said, I want to fly from here to Chicago. What, what is the flight pattern? She said, well, we have a flight that's leaving from Indianapolis at 1 o'clock. It will arrive in Chicago at 1.01. He said, would you repeat that? She said, yes, sir. She said, it will take off from Indianapolis at 1 o'clock. It will arrive in Chicago at 1.01. Would you like to board a flight? He said, no, ma'am, but I'd sure like to stick around and see that thing take off. <laughs> well, you know, he didn't realize there was a change of time between Chicago and Indianapolis. One's on one time and one's on another. Well, sometimes, you know, that's what we look for in our lives, the power, the power of faith. I want to talk about the power of faith this morning. I want Numbers, chapter number 30. And I'm going to be skipping around. Uh, in Numbers, I said 30, chapter 13. Chapter 13 uh, in the book of Numbers. I want to talk to you this morning a little bit about the children of Israel entering into the Promised Land. And uh, there are some significant things here that I think that we need to see that we can apply to our lives. For in chapter 13, and I'm going to be skipping around, but in chapter 13 it said, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. And so the Lord commanded Moses, and he sent out from the desert. All the men were leaders of the Israelites. And when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up into the hill country and see what the land is like, whether the people there and who lives there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? What good is it? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns are they living in? How is the soil? Is it fertile? Is it pure? There are, are there trees on it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit from the land. So they went up and they explored the land. And when they reached the valley, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two men, two of them, carried on a pole between them and some pomegranates and some figs. And at the end of the 40 days, they returned from the exploring the land and sent returned to Moses and to Aaron. And they reported to them that the whole assembly showed them the fruit of the land. We went into the land which you have sent us to. It does flow with milk and honey. 
Here it is. There is a powerful city. It is fortified and very large. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We cannot attack. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we. They are, they had spread among the Israelites the fear that, that they were looking for. And the land was explored and they came back. And when they seen, it looked as though that we are like grasshoppers in the eyes of we that looked at them. And so that night after exploring in the forty days, Chapter 14 says that night all of the people were in the community, raised their voices and wept aloud. I thought about that. God had said, I want you to go up into Canaan because I'm giving the Israelites this land. I want you to go look it over. And I thought about that. You know, that's a powerful statement. The power of faith that God's Word is true. I know today and the day in which we live, our, our world is a tremendous power. When I think about the power in this world, think of the giant aircraft carriers. I had a man that retired from the Navy. It was in one of our congregations. And he used to tell us and had pictures in his home of, of the carrier that he was on. I mean, they would fly these jets in at a high speed and hit that carrier and stop instantly. He said it was just amazing. They could bring in as many as six planes at one time. Think about that. That's a boat they're landing six planes on. What tremendous power that is. Then I think of the flying over of the shows when... When I lived in Springfield, Ohio, and used to go to the air show in Dayton and see all the different planes and see these these jets that were so fast and so quick that sometimes by the time you heard it, they were out of sight. That's power, my friend. But when I begin to think of all the power that operates by men, the great ships, the great planes, there's one power that's even greater than that. And I believe that that power is the power that we have through faith in Jesus Christ who's operating in our lives. Because when I think about this, Jesus said that we have the faith of even a grain of a mustard seed. We could remove mountains. Now, I know a lot of people read that, but they say, well, I don't know if that's true or not. But you know what? Faith is an explosive thing. It is a powerful thing. I love the faith that Caleb had in Numbers that I shared with you. In verse 30 said, he said, let's go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to do it. Now I want to tell you, they, there were 12 of them that went. And as we look at this story, and I think about Moses sent 12 men to spy out that land that, that was promised to them. And these men investigated the land. They took 40 days. That's over a month. And they went from every valley to every mountain. They went and looked at every ounce of that land. They wanted to know that they were giving the right report when they got back. And when they began to look at that land, they said, the spy says, and they returned reporting and waiting for the Israelites were all waiting for these men to return, for them to come back after 40 days. These 12 men came back. 
And they begin to give the account of what happened. They said the land is choice. Oh, you cannot find better. I mean, it grows better trees. It grows better fruit. It has more on it than any land we've ever seen in our life. The land was choice, they said. Not only was the land, it was fertile. It was easy to grow. You didn't have to spend a lot of time moving rocks and fertilizing. The land was fertile. It was already, it was the greatest land they'd ever seen in their life. He said it was rich. It was rich because the fruits that was there were so large. As the Scripture says, that when they cut off of grapes, they had to put it on a pole. And one on each end carrying it, all they could do to carry it, it was so large. And they brought it back showing them primograms that they'd never seen that size before. And figs. He said, I'm going to tell you, this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. But as they begin to give that report, There was fear. Ten of them gave a report founded on fear and doubt. And they said, we cannot conquer that land. We cannot take them. Why, them people are so big. They've eaten this fruit and they've grown so big that he said, we look like grasshoppers next to them. We could not go there. We could never do that. But there were two men who had faith. Two men, Caleb and Joshua, had the power of faith operating in our lives. And they said, we can take the land. We can do it. And we need to do it now. Listen to me, church. I believe this Scripture is true today in our lives. You can have the same kind of faith that Joshua and Caleb had in your life. If you would just listen to this account of this powerfulness of God. First of all, I want you to notice that in this Scripture it tells us That real faith sees the power of God more than the problems of the moment. Real faith, real faith in God's Word, real faith in what God says, my friend, is greater than all the problems that you and I will ever face. But the problem is, is that we look at the problems more than what our God can do. So many times, you know, we just don't realize what God really can do in our lives. Are, 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 are your eyes on the problems of the moment? Are your eyes upon the problems that you're seeing? You know, when I look around and I see the things that look difficult, and you look at the world today and all that's happening, and so many times it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to say, well, God, well, you're going to let all this happen. You're going to let destroy our lives and destroy our economy and destroy our land. Are you going to let this happen? Or are we as Christians saying God promised He would be faithful to the end? I'm going to stick with God no matter what the world's saying. I'm going to stick with God no matter what's going on in my life. And so I look at these, you know, sometimes we fix our eyes on the problems of the moment rather than fixing our eyes upon the power of God and His Word. You know what? I thought about real faith does not ignore problems. I mean, we all have problems and we need to realize that. But I'm going to tell you something. It Real faith recognizes that problems exist, but chooses to look beyond them. Look beyond what the problems are and see what the power of God can do. Faith in God will change your life. Let me tell you something. It will change your life if you really have the faith that God wants. It will change in a situation in your home life, in a marriage, in a family. It will change you. Real faith will change your marriage. It will change your family. Real faith, my friend, will change your attitude. 
You see, the attitude that I have is not poor me. It's not saying, oh God, why did you lead me to this place and then let this happen to me? Real faith, my friend, will change your attitude. Say, God, you put me here. You must have put me here for a purpose and I'm going to help change that. I'm going to help make it different. And so you see, it can change our situations. It's always our choice. God never does anything without us making a choice. And so in the, I thought about this. You know, years ago, I, I remember taking a group several times when I pastored in Pennsylvania. One of the journeys we would make in the church bus was always to New York, up to Niagara Falls, New York. And we used to go up there and, you know, they'd take a whole group of people and, and, you know, there was a pastor at that time up there named Pastor Williams. We have a church about two blocks from Niagara Falls, from the falls. And Pastor Williams was there, and I knew him, and so I talked to him. I said, I got, a, I got a group of folks that want to come. Now, we're Church of God folks. We can't afford them expensive motels, but could we use your church? And so we would pack our, our lunch, and we'd pack everything together, and we'd go, and we'd stay in the church, and some of the men would, would sleep on the hard floors, and the women would get the nurseries, you know, where the carpet was. And we'd stay in the church overnight so that we could go in in the evening and see all the lights, get up the next day, and cross over the bridge and go into Niagara Falls. And so I begin to think about that. You know, I read about Niagara Falls, how they got the bridge. Do you know that the bridge was built in Niagara Falls in the, in the late 1800s? 1870, someone said we ought to build a bridge across Niagara. We ought to build a bridge across it. And so they got the engineers together. Engineers came and they looked at it and they said, man, the rocks are like cliffs and everything's so slippery. And There's no way, there's no way you'll ever build a bridge across that Niagara Falls. And so the engineers walked away from the job. But there was one man. There was one man that had an idea. He had a, he had a vision of being able to save a lot of miles driving from over in the American side to the Canadian side. And he said, we've got to build this bridge. So he got a hold of some young people. You see, the old folks couldn't do it. He got a hold of the young people. And he got a hold of them. He said, I'm going to tell you what. I'll pay $10 to the first kid that can fly a kite across Niagara. Well, I'll tell you what. These kids begin to build those kites, and they got a string, and they begin to fly. And one fellow just detected. He knew when the wind and where it would come. And so he made himself a kite, and, and he achieved it. It flew across the falls. When it got to the other side, they unhooked the string. They hooked a heavier string on and pulled it across. Then they hold a rope on and pulled it across. Then they begin to put a slender cable on it and pulled it across. And then they brought a bigger cable until finally they got a large cable across. And that's how the bridge got across Niagara Falls. Now most people, even the engineer says, it's impossible. It's impossible. It's never going to happen. But it did happen. Let me tell you something. I believe the same thing is true in our lives. Many saw the problem, but someone saw the potential of the future. You see, real faith focuses on the power of God more than on the problem. Now, you may look around and you may say, well, how in the world can we have a church? How can we make it when everybody else in the bigger cities has everything going for them and we are out here in the country? Let me tell you something. God placed Bars Mills Church here for a reason. And I believe there are people all around. They'll draw for miles. My son, this pastor's in distant Pennsylvania. You met him. And you know, he's been there 29 years. And you know what? You know what the motto of that church is? They live in distance. Somebody says, where's distance? You know what? Distance is even about as small as bars mills. We, they don't have a, well, they do now. 
I was up there not long ago, and they put a dollar store in. The only store in town is a dollar store. No gas station. You've got to go to the post office, which is nothing more than a little trailer, to get your mail. But you know what? God placed a church there, and there was somebody that had a vision that believed that God had a purpose for it. I want to tell you something. That church in distant, I've been there for years and years and years. I've been doing this thing for over 50 years. I want to tell you something. One of the first places I held a revival was in distant Pennsylvania. I told my son I've been with every preacher except for one in my lifetime, in my ministry time, in distant Pennsylvania. Now I want to tell you something. The church runs close to 400. You know what the population of distant is? Less than a hundred. Less than a hundred. And so you know what the motto is on their stationery? It's worth the distance. It's worth the distance. You know what? Because somebody had faith to believe that God could do a work in that little town. Let me tell you something. When we look at our situations and say, I hear people say it all the time, we're going to get cut off. I remember a pastor in Bell Fountain, Ohio, when, when we were out in the country. In a new church, way out in the country. Then all of a sudden, Honda moved in. And when Honda moved in, they decided they're going to put some highway in there. And so now the church sets alongside of a, a double highway. But when they put the highway in, it created a problem for our church. At least they thought it did. You see, because we used to be able to go up Highway 33 and make a left turn, and you turn off a, a stone throw, you could swing into the church parking lot. The church is right there. You could see it. You could throw a rock from 33 and hit the church. But you know what? They put that four lane in, and they barricaded Brown Avenue. Now we can't get, to, uh, can't get out the 33. Now we've got to find a different way to get in. You see, a lot of people thought it was a, it was, it was a down. But let me tell you something. We begin to realize, I told the church, don't get discouraged about this. My goodness, how many funerals have we had of people leaving our church, hitting Highway 33, and being in an accident? You see, because the people are traveling at 65 mile an hour, and you're pulling out there thinking that you can get across that highway. And when they barricaded, it saved lives. There was no problem. The city was willing to let us put our signs up. And so we were able to put our sign at the first time off the interstate. There it is. Take a left. Go on straight across. Come to a dead end. Hit Brown Street. Take a right-hand turn. And you're right at the church. It was not a problem. It's that way yet today. But you see, what could have been a problem, we saw it as something that was good. Something that would help us. And so, you know what I thought about this? You know... Real faith focuses on the power of God more than on the problem. You see, our military has what they call, they call it lock-on capabilities. I had a young man in our church one time that served in the military, and it was during the time of, the, uh, of one of the wars, and, and he was telling, he came in and we had him in to talk to us about the soldiers and what they were doing because he was a young Christian man. And he said, you know, we have what we call lock-on capacities. We have a program today that we know the enemy is in that town. And we send someone out to, to map it out for us, and then they set up this little instrument that, that that's nothing more than a mechanical thing that they can send down the street, turn right up the alley, go two blocks and turn left, and then come and land right where the enemy is, and then there's an explosion. Boom! And they kill them all. 
Now that's that, that they call you know technology that would bring them to the place where they could lock it on and it wouldn't blow up nothing else. Nothing else would happen. Just that one thing. And I thought, man, you know what that'll preach? You know, Christians have lock on technology. We know that if we have faith in God and we believe in the power of God, the Bible says we can ask what we will in according to His will and He'll provide it. The Bible said greater things than you can even imagine God can do for us. And so you see, as Christians, faith, powerful faith. You know, we had a lot of people, and I was telling Dick this morning, you know, there's someone over there this morning about, you know, we talk about the faith in God. A lot of people think all you hear about is, well, you've got to pray harder. You ought to pray harder. Let me tell you something. There was a little song a number of years ago said, prayer without faith is like a boat without an oar. You ever been a boat without an oar? You're sitting in the water. But where are you going? What are you going to happen? What's going to happen? You've got to have the oar in there to make it move. Well, you know, let me tell you something. You can pray all day long. You can pray until, my friend, until you wear yourself out. But if you don't have faith when you pray, it's of absolutely of no sense. It's of no, you know, lots of people pray, but they don't have faith. You gotta have faith. We gotta have faith. And so, these people walk, lock on to faith. Um, let me tell you something. When I begin to think about that, that's the kind of faith that makes a difference in our lives. There's a second thing that I see in this scripture. As they sent out these spies and they came back, there was disbelief. You know something? Disbelief is speaking evil of God. Think about that. Now, the reason I say that is because of this. In Numbers 13 and 31, ten spies announced, we are not able to go up against these people for they are stronger than us. The next verse calls an evil report. It says they came back with an evil report. Why? Their words really were saying, God, you're a liar. Because what did the Bible say? Moses said, I want you to go out and look at the land. I want you to check it all out. Come back and get the people excited about them coming. Get the people excited about where they're going to go and how I'm going to give them the best of the best of the best. And they said, no. God's a liar. Because you see, it didn't say God, God had nothing. They were talking about going up and fighting against these giants. God didn't say nothing about fighting anybody. God said, I'm giving you the land. I just want you to go check it out. That's, that's like God saying, I, I'm going, I'm going to give you a house. You just go check it out. And you come back and say, I, I ain't taking that thing. He don't know what he's talking about. You know what? They, they were really saying, God, you're a liar. That's disbelief. They said, as they sent these men out, he said, I'm giving you the children of Israel. In other words, he said, I'm giving you this land, and you can take it. Trust me. But ten were unable to accept that. Ten said, God's not right. They didn't believe. Now, how's that hit at home? How many times have we read the Scripture where the Bible says we're two or more gathered together, He's in the midst. And people say, went to church today, didn't feel nothing about God. I guarantee you, my friend, I've been places where there's only been a few people, but I could sense the presence of God. You see, whenever we gather together and we expect God to be there, God will be there. When we believe that God's going to do what He says He's going to do, and the Bible teaches us this. How many of you today 
won't believe God's promises. I have people say all the time, I'll say, man, I've been praying for you. I've been praying that God would bring healing. I've been praying that God would bring salvation. And they say, oh, I don't know that God could ever save me. I just believe that maybe, maybe this is the way I'm going to die. Let me tell you something, you're denying God's promises. Because the Bible teaches that if we confess with Him with our mouth and believe in our hearts, we can become Christians. So you know, nobody's beyond salvation. That's an evil thought. You see, I grew up in the church of God. You all didn't know that. But I grew up in the church of God as a young man. And I can remember, and it kind of reminded me, maybe that's what happened today with all the hymns from the hymn book. I like the other. I'm not against it. But the hymns from the hymn book always preached to me. And you know, there was a song in the hymn book as a young man growing up that we sang over and over and over and over again. The song was standing on the promises. Standing on the promises. However, more than just singing it, more than just singing all four verses of it, I saw standing on the promises enacted. I saw the church not only sing the song, but I watched people do it. You know, they sing t-shirt, I see kids wearing one, just do it. You know what, that's what God's saying, just do it. If you're going to sing the song, do it. I saw people standing on the result. I saw people that said they could never get saved or they'd never come to Jesus Christ or you'd never see them inside of the church or the church would fall down. I want to tell you something. I saw them get saved by the power of God. I saw people that stood on the promises that came to church, my friend, with sicknesses and ailments. I saw many a time all manner of sickness and diseases that have been healed. I'll never forget one lady that they passed, pastored and, and, and I, that I, in a local church. And I'm going to tell you something. I can remember Sister McCutcheon saying, we need to gather a bunch of these fellows together and some of these men, women together that had the faith and the belief. Because you know what? We have a sister that's going blind and she wants us to pray. She came. She said she believed that, that the Lord told her that she needed to come before the church and ask the Lord to do this healing of her. And she said, I want you to spend a week I'm going to tell you something. We prayed and fasted for a week. And on that day that she came, we didn't do it on a Sunday morning when there was 500 people in the sanctuary. We gathered around those that believed, those that trusted, those that had fasted and laid hands on this lady and began to pray for her. And I'm going to tell you something. God opened her eyes. She could see. Why? Because she stood on the promise. Let me tell you something, when we stand on God's Word and His promises, it will happen. I've seen bodies healed. I've seen homes transformed. I've seen churches that were about to die come to life because of the Word of God. Let me tell you something, I believe that the Word of God can transform. How? Through the power of faith and ordinary people. They stood on the promises. Today, I want to tell you something, you and I will face the devil just like these men did in this day. Just as Moses received that report, there will be those that will say, no matter what God's Word says, it can't be done. It can't happen. It won't happen. But I'm going to tell you something. You will face doubts and critical attitudes. But let me urge you to stay light years away from those attitudes. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to try to convince those people. I want to stay away from them as far as I can. Because you know what? We all have a way of infiltrating into somebody else's faith. 
I don't want nobody telling me that it can't happen. I believe every time we come to the house of God, there's something God wants to do something or let someone hear something that they ought to hear. You know what, I, I don't believe it's just coming as, as a church. Let me urge you, stay light years away from those attitudes. Let the flow of the Holy Spirit believe that you believe in your heart as Joshua and Caleb did. And my friend, don't let unbelief slip into your mind. Don't let it happen. You control your mind. Let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. It was Jesus, my friend, that promised this. And we need to keep our minds atoned to Him. I like the prayer that says, Dear Jesus, don't walk in front of me, for I may not follow. Don't walk behind me, for I cannot lead. But walk beside me and be my Lord. You know what? There's a, there's a saying that I use for years that says, Lord, there is nothing that you and I cannot accomplish together. That's faith. There's nothing in my life that with Jesus we cannot accomplish together. Now, if I try to do it on my own, it may not work. But as long as I accomplish it with Him. Well, there's a third thing that I want to say. Not only is there unbelief, but I believe that your faith will affect others. Your faith will affect others. All of us affect other people. We either move them towards good or towards bad. We either move them to have greater faith or to have more doubt. You know, we, we try to reason things out today. The spies affected their entire nation. Notice that. The Bible says they all, then all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept throughout the night. Why? Because you see, those that had doubts, those ten convinced those people. They convinced the church. It can't be done. It can't be done. It can't be done. And yet there were two that were saying, we can do all things through Christ. Let me tell you something. I want to be with the two. Lord, there is nothing that you and I cannot accomplish together. How many times have I wept because people wouldn't believe the Bible? They wouldn't believe what Jesus said. They wouldn't believe what He was. You know what? The truth of the matter is, remember, you know, there used to be a saying, one run rotten apple in the barrel, ruin them all. I, I, you know what? I found out not so much with apples. I, I tell you what, one rotten egg, or one rotten potato in a bag of potatoes will ruin them all too. And not only does it ruin them, it stinks. You ever have one? I, I like to make, I, I like to make Potato soup, and so I buy a bag of potatoes, and sometimes don't get around to do it, and, and they'll lay in the cupboard for a while, and I'll pull that bag out, and remember, they say something in that cupboard, you know, got to go over to it, you've got to check it out. And so I pull it out, and you know what? It's in potatoes. And it's not just one, it done took them all. Let me tell you something, and not only did, it, did I lose the potatoes, but it left an odor. And the same thing is true, my friend, with your faith. I want you to know that faith will affect others. It will cause them to have a bad attitude. It will cause them to have a bad voice. It will have them have a bad smell about things. You know what? It can be seen not only in apples and not only in potatoes, but it can be seen in the home. It can be seen in the home. You ever, you ever notice, you, have, you ever been in a house? You ever been in your house, in my house? 
and 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 you know everything's happy, everything's wonderful, everything's going great. I mean, it is just the greatest day. You're just blessed by the beautiful sunrise this morning that we saw. You're blessed by all the good things that God's doing, and and you're just all excited as a family. And then you have one that shows up. They got a bad attitude. Nothing's good. Nothing's well. No matter what you say that says this is a beautiful day, they say it's a bad day. Well, just wait a couple hours. It'll get worse. You think it's bad now? You ain't seen nothing yet. You see, we affect those who are around. And it doesn't just happen at home. It happens in the church. It happens in the church. You can be a church that is so filled with the power and the presence and the faith of God that you believe this church can do anything. And there's always that one that says, Now wait a minute, folks. I know this, or I know what happened back then, and I know one other place I was at. Let me tell you something. I believe that we need to be careful about our faith because our faith is going to it's going to affect other people. You know, I don't know about you, but I like to run with people that's got good faith. Soon it will affect the whole thing and there will be a foul mood among everybody. The Bible says so clearly, for none of us lives unto Himself. Did you know that? None of us. Romans 14 says, none of us live to Himself. Faith in your life affects others. Believe it or die. Either you believe or you doubt. Think back of Moses and the people of God standing on the shores of the Red Sea. And God led them down to the sea, you know. The Egyptian army was closing in quickly behind them. And you know the story. Children of Israel were ready to stampede like cattle. They looked back. There was all that water in front of them. And they said, Lord, why in the world did You send us down here? And they look over their shoulders and they see thousands of soldiers that are about ready to close in on them. They're ready to stampede. They're willing to say, let's get rid of Moses and let's get somebody that will get us out of this mess. But you know what happened. You know the rest of the story. You know how that in the midst of all of that and it begin to spread like wildfire like it usually does, rumors, and all of a sudden Moses stood up. He said, be quiet. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Moses took the stand of standing there and saying, God has led us here and God has put us here and God's going to never let us get defeated. Stand still and watch and see what God does. And you know what happened. They crossed across the Red Sea. Well, you know what? The same thing is true today. I believe that there are many of you that are sitting right here that God's saying to you, stand up. Take a stand. When you hear something going on, take a stand. You know, I, I looked at it and I, I think about it. You know, when I heard, read and, and heard on the news and heard about this, this baby that was born, it was alive. It was laid there. It was comforted. It made sure that everything was fine. Well, the doctor and the person back here wanted to make a decision whether to abort it or not. Let me tell you something. It's time that we in the church take a stand. It's time that we say, and what we believe, the Bible says God created us as individuals. We are not just a blob. We're not just some little thing until we get breath in us. Let me tell you something. From the moment of conception, my friend, it becomes a life. 
And we need to stand for that. You see, the problem is is that we don't take stands today. Do you know that someone mentioned this morning about the watching on the news and there was a couple of states now that's wanting to put in God we trust on the license plate. And there's a couple others who want to take it off. You know what? You know who's going to win in that battle? Those that are willing to stand. Those that are willing to say, I believe in God. I trust in God. I'm going to stand for what God says. You see, the problem you know we have in the church today is that because we haven't stood enough, we got too many cripples. We got too many people that sat so long and and you know, you know, you sat long enough you kind of get tired about anything. You know, I, I, I find that. I, you know, somebody says to me, Why don't you sit down for a while? Because when I sit down I'm afraid I won't get back up. You know, I, I want to keep moving. I, I want to keep things going. You see, Moses stood and said, That be, you need to be that person in your home. You need to take that stand in your home. You need to take that stand in the midst of your friends. Be that person that's willing to stand up and say what you believe and what you know the Bible says. Be that person in the church. Be that person in the church. We, we want to see God do great things. Well, lastly, the faith in your life will be rewarded. You know that? Who entered the promised land? Who entered the promised land? There were twelve that went out and surveyed it. But who entered it? Two. Two of them. Joshua and Caleb. The two who projected their faith. The Bible says He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Who, who try to find what God's really wanting us to do in life. Let me tell you something. You will be rewarded for doing what you do for the Gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible promises this. All of us will be. God is a provide, is a powerful rewarder. Trust in God as Caleb and Joshua did. And let the power of faith be exercised in your life today. Miracles happen yet today. You know that? I thought about it. There's a man, Charles Fenning. Now drives a taxi cab in Athens, Tennessee. But several years ago, Charles was driving his car one day, and a truck pulled out in front of him and hit that truck. And Charles' car was demolished, and the airbag went off, and the powder in the airbag not only hit him in the face, but went in his eyes. And the car caught on fire and the fire department began to spray right away so they tried to get the seatbelt off and get him out. And in the process, he went blind. The doctors looked at him and they said, you know, it's from the powder. It's from what was in that spray that they put on. He said, it's affected your eyes and you may never see again, but... But Charles was a great Christian, and he said to the doctor, he said, but there's got to be more. My God is not going to let me be blind the rest of my life. And he said, well, I'm just telling you that with what I see, you might as well try using your faith in a way to learn how to get along through being blind. It doesn't mean you can't live. It just means you can't see. But Charles had faith. He put a wristwatch back on his arm. He turned the light on in the room. And every day, for six months or more, he would wake up in the morning. The first thing he would do, he would look at that watch. He would turn his head and look to see whether the light was shining or not. 
And for six or seven months, every morning, nothing happened. And then one morning, he woke up and he looked down and he saw his watch on his arm. And he began to realize the light was on. And he jumped out of the bed and said, Praise the Lord, I can see again. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. Somebody said, how do you know? He said, because the doctor said it would take a miracle for me to ever see again. Let me tell you something, folks. Miracles are not something that we produce. You see, that's the problem I have with so-called miracle workers. You see, I don't have any way. You have no way to produce that. Miracles are things that simply happen by faith. When our faith is activated, I want you to know that miracles happen not because they are performed, but because they are believed. Charles believed that. And we're going to close this morning. I thought about a couple other scriptures. I'm not going to quote. I'll just tell you what they are, okay? You remember the, you remember the young boy, the young man that came to Jesus as he was traveling along and said, Dear Master, he said, my son, my child is at death's door. My child is about to die. He said, if you'll just say the word, he'll be okay. And Jesus said, he said, you don't have to come to my house. Just say the word. You see, that's, that's believing faith. Think about the great wedding feast. All the celebration was going on and everybody's having a great time and they run out of wine. What they do, they call on Jesus. And Jesus said, well, I, I, I'm not in the business of doing this, but if I have to, His mother said, you know, remember Scripture? Pay attention to your mom. His mother said, do whatever He says to do. And so He cut these people together and He said, fill these barrels with water. And those men looked at Him and said, say, what? They don't need water. They need wine. Jesus said, just fill the barrels. So I'm sure they were like us. They grumbled the whole time. Well, that is the craziest thing I've ever seen. That guy telling us to fill these barrels. And here we are over here. When we should be out trying to find where we can get wine, he's having to put water in these barrels. And finally, when he got them full, they came back in a smart alecky attitude and said, now they're filled. What do you want us to do next? He said, fill the pitchers and give it to them. <laughs> Now, this is ridiculous. You want us to pour water when they're asking for wine? You know what? When they begin to pour it, it became wine. Not just any wine, it became the best. You know what that told me? Jesus doesn't give us just any kind. He gives us the best. We get the best. You see, and it only happens when we have faith. We have to have faith that it's going to work. We have to have faith that it's, going to, that it's going to happen. It takes faith to do that. You see, a lot of us have faith kind of like the fellow down in Pennsylvania that were going to build onto the hospital down there. and They dug all around. They found this great big old cable under there. Electric cable was feeding that hospital. They got a hold of the guys, the engineers, and those that had the drawings and said, don't worry about those. Those have been cut off five years ago. Those cables aren't even in effect. They're not even working anymore. You can just, what do we do? He said, just dig them out. Fill them out. He said, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't you go down and you cut them? Then we'll dig. And the fellow said, well, I'm not that sure. <laughs> you see, that's the way we are, isn't it? Sometimes, you know, we say we're sure, but we're really not. We need to make sure we know. I got news for you this morning.
The God that I serve is the same God that Moses served, the same God that, that Caleb and Joshua served and believed in. I want to tell you something. My God can do anything. He is a miracle-working God. He can solve every problem you have this morning. He can meet every need that you have. But it's not going to happen just by sitting back and praying or calling our prayer train and asking everybody else to pray. You have got to believe yourself. Those who believe will receive. So I challenge you this morning. Instead of looking at the problem, look at who's the problem solver. Look who has the answer. Look who knows all about it, but is just waiting for us to ask Him to do something about it. He'll provide that need today. Let us learn to stand on the promises of God. We're going to sing that verse this morning as we stand. Dixie will come and lead us. I'm not going to lead it. But you know this says, Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Let me tell you something. If you stand on the promise of God, whatever it is your need is today, stand on that promise. Believe these promises. They work. They work. I could take you to hundreds of people that I've known that that has stood on the promise and trusted God and asked God and received from God because of it. But I can tell you a lot of others have been hanging around the church for years. Nothing's ever happened in their life. Because they really don't totally believe that this book is really true. So we're going to sing this morning. If you have a need, I'd be happy to pray with you. If you have that need this morning, why don't you take that stand? Why don't you, instead of looking at that problem this morning, receive the promise. Say, I'm standing on the promise of God. I'm going to trust God. Live, die, or whatever. I'm going to trust God and God's going to take care of it. And He'll do it for you this morning as we sing. Page number 352. 352. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God, steady, steady, standing, standing on the 